0: All right, everybody. I'd, uh, I'd like to welcome everyone who is watching and following along with this edition of the Virginia Sports Hall of Fame's Hawk Hall Call Interview Series. I hope everyone is doing well, staying healthy, staying safe. Um, I am Will Driscoll, the Executive Director of the Virginia Sports Hall of Fame. And, and again, just really want to thank everybody for joining us. Um, soccer is kind of going to be the, the, the theme of our conversation today. In fact, the theme of what we're talking about. But soccer and interest in, in leagues both here and abroad has been growing steadily over the last quarter century since the U.S. hosted the World Cup in 1994. And shortly after that World Cup, we saw the advent of Major League Soccer. And fast forward 26 years, we now have 26 teams in the top North American Soccer League. But as the sport has grown, so, has it, so have its lower divisions uh, in the United Soccer League. And three years ago, Professional soccer came to the peninsula when Lionsbridge FC, a USL League Two side, kicked off its inaugural season in 2017. The story of how the team formed is is brilliant, and we're going to get into a lot of that later today. It's truly a grassroots effort from concept to completion, um, affectionately known as Spreadsheet FC at the start. The team that took the field, that will be taking the field for its fourth season in 2021, is now known as Lionsbridge FC, and they got a great and solid support base behind it. Uh, today on Hall Call, we're actually joined by the founder and owner Mike Vest, as well as head coach uh, Chris Wally of Lionsbridge FC. So, guys, thanks for joining us today. Hey, Will, thanks for having us. Absolutely. So, Mike, Chris, and anybody who wants to follow Lionsbridge on social media, you can follow them on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. All the handles are at Lionsbridge FC, all one word. So, be sure to follow them. Uh, they've been around for three years. As we mentioned, they're going into their fourth season. Um, but let's just go ahead and get this started. USL League 2, the league that you guys play in, uh, the league that Lionsbridge is affiliated with, held their season this summer, albeit it was a bit modified. I think it was seven matches as opposed to the 14 that you normally see. How was the league able to find its way to the field? And what, aside from the obvious, was the most challenging part of this season? Well, I think from from
1: our perspective, I think it was um, I think it was just all the unknowns um, as we were rolling through the spring. I don't think we really knew um, when if this was going to pass. I think we didn't know um, whether the the league was going to be able to continue to hold together and, and still have a season. Um, there was just so many unknowns, just like there were across all of society, and so i think it made um it made planning difficult because we'd already we really kind of made all of our plans for the 2020 season chris had the roster set up and squared away um you know we had all of our all of our 2020 dates were set ready to go group ticket sales done promotions done ready to go kind of all the different elements of game day we were ready um in february um and our season wasn't going to start until april and so um as this all happened you know i think we went back to the drawing board chris and i were on the phone you know, nearly every day talking about you know what what are we hearing, what do we see, um, and so you know as we as we got closer to the summer, um, you know, and the the COVID numbers were going down. I think we were really optimistic at that point, based off of all the Virginia guidelines that we were going to be able to play. Um, so we we put together a, a seven game schedule. Um, we had to we had to make a, a venue change. We were lucky that we held on to. I think Chris can talk about, but the just overwhelming majority of our players still were able to join us Um, our host families stayed on board our sponsors stayed on board Um, and I think the the piece once we kind of looked at it and said I think we're going to be able to play um, you know we worked really closely with with Riverside Health System which is our um, sports medicine partner to be able to figure out how do we have a good safe return to play what do we need to do to make sure we're following all the protocols um, keeping everybody safe you know, a lot of these guys hadn't played in, in, you know, eight, eight, nine months at that point. And so uh, in a competitive environment, so there were a lot of considerations, both from an on the field standpoint and off the field standpoint. Um, and I think we felt really fortunate that we were able to play. Um, a lot of sports entities didn't have that opportunity in different geographies and different sports. So we were fortunate that we were able to get a season in um, the fans had a great time. I think the players had a great time. We were able to win all of our games um, score a lot of goals and so I think you know at least for the 90 minutes that we were out there playing things felt normal and I think that that was the thing we were hoping would have have happened because sports brings people together in such a way and brings um, a sense of normalcy and kind of a rhythm to people's lives that I think almost nothing else can do and so you know I think we hopefully we played some small role in, in giving people something to be happy about and cheer for over the course of the summer and um, you know, it's, it's one that we don't want to have to do, ever do again. But, um, you know, I think it, it went well, all things considered.
0: Well, Coach, kind of back, piggybacking off of what Mike just said, the 90 minutes that you guys were on the pitch, that was normal. Everything else around this was, was not normal. What were some of the challenges that you faced and how did you have to change up your approach to the season, to recruiting players, to just kind of everything that you would normally do as a head coach of a soccer team?
2: Yeah, obviously it was, it was a challenge and a challenge that hopefully, you no know, none of us love I have to face again. In terms of recruiting, we don't really, in terms of our recruitment, have to recruit that many new players because, I, I, I don't want a specific number, I'd say 90% of our guys who had committed to coming in, or 85%, were able to make it. Um, I think a lot of the reasons on that was guys committed to stay through the summer if they were from overseas, or you know, a lot of our domestic guys, like Mike had mentioned, hadn't played soccer in eight or nine months and were desperate to do something. And if that meant that we had to go through all these procedures and protocols just to be able to get out of the field and train, then they did that. I remember the first training session we had and it was literally as if, you know, I'm coaching grown men and it was like working with five-year-olds. It was the first time <laughs> they'd been out there, and they were so exciting. Some of the play at times was like five-year-olds as well, but it was one of those where they were just really, really excited to be back out in the field. I think as athletes and as, as a coach now, you kind of often define yourself by the sport that you're working in. And, I think a lot of us found it very, very difficult in that period when COVID was, you know, at its peak and we weren't able to do anything to kind of know where we were. So to have the sport that they love and to be able to do that again, really helped them kind of, you know, guide where they were going with things. But Riverside were fantastic. They did a great job of helping keep us safe. We followed all our procedures and protocols that they worked with U.S. soccer with. And... you know, it was it were just like little silly, funny things that we're playing a game and um, we weren't able to pick the ball up and throw it. So I've got guys like they're running to pick the ball up when it's got out of bounds to throw it. And I'm blowing it away. It's like, no, stop, kick it. Because that's something you've naturally done for your whole life. You know, And then the goalkeeper would make a save in a game. Then we'd have our interns, the goalkeeper would make a save because they were holding the ball using their hands, they would to have to throw the ball away to get that ball disinfected and pick a new clean ball apart the goal. So it was quite strange, but we followed all these procedures and it allowed us to play. So it was, we kind of, we, we talked about the new norm and said, so, guys, we're out here playing. Not many people are, yes, this is weird, but embrace the weird, so. so if,
0: and, and if you couldn't tell, obviously you're a local from Hampton Roads by the accent. So we're, we're happy that the raised. local guys done well. Yeah, born and raised. <laughs> That's right. Well, you, so you're talking about, you know, recruitment and the players and some of the players hadn't been on a field in eight to nine months. In, in USL League 2, kind of give people some insight as to what sort of players are you recruiting? Because these obviously, yet they're not the top-level MLS people, the people that are in the United States men's national team pipeline. But what sort of players are you recruiting to come play for Lionsbridge?
2: So somebody got, for example, we had on our team, we had a guy who was in the U16 national team pool. We've got a guy who's played for the U19 national team. We had a couple of older guys who probably get tail end of their careers. They probably won't like me saying that. But ex-professionals who still want to play at a high level and give a lot of experience and guidance to our younger players. And then most of our other guys are elite-level college players that are trying to play in an environment like ours, which is ultimately going to put them in what we'd say like a shop window to try and get a a USL or an MLS professional contract. Tell me if I'm wrong, Mike, but is it, have we had eight guys in three years gone professional? Is that right? Yeah, that's right. So that's something that we talk to our recruited, you know, new players about a lot that we're a great avenue to send guys to professional clubs, whether that be domestically here. You've got Joe Rice is with the new England revolution too, and he's been involved in our MLS squad. Um, we've got guys that have gone and played in Europe and then, now the guy went play in Australia. So different places, different countries, but ultimately young, hungry guys are trying to make their way in the game is probably how I describe it. With a couple of older guys who help them along the way. You need that
0: sage experience on the team to help guide the younger guys along the way. That's definitely a great feather in the cap for the club and the organization. Eight professional contracts in three seasons. Um, you know, when you talk about this season and preparing for for the most part, a younger group of guys and you just talking about how you have to learn almost a new way to play, no throw-ins, giving the ball away to get a new ball. You guys went 7-0, and and you outscored your opponents 32-1 to over the course of the season. How was the team able to kind of put all of this ancillary, all these ancillary things aside and focus on those 90
2: minutes on the field? I think the hunger that the group had was fantastic. I think we had a bunch of young men that really want to be the very, very best soccer players they can be. So that helps. I think the fact that we'd not played for so long, made, made them really, really tuned in and want to, you know, want to listen and want to learn. I think we've all had coaches where you kind of wish the coach would just let you get out there and play and, yeah, will he shut up and stop talking? I think these guys have probably not heard a coach's voice for seven or eight months apart from on Zoom calls and things like that so they were probably so excited about being there they really engaged and listened anthony moore who was you know ran most of our training sessions he's the assistant coach up at st francis in pennsylvania did a fantastic job and put a put some really good sessions on and i tried to really as a coach this year take a step back in terms of running sessions more talking to guys about how they were feeling about things about their mindset about where they were mentally with things. Because as I kind of mentioned earlier, I think one of the most difficult things that we've probably all dealt with with COVID outside of the illness piece itself is it's changed all our lives mentally in terms of you're not able to do the things that you normally do. The guys were having to stay home. They weren't getting to socialize as much. So we try to spend a lot of time really making sure this group came together in a safe environment in a way that we, you know, during training, if that makes sense. Because a lot of times they weren't able to spend a lot that much time together so it was a very very kind of business-like relationship so we tried to personalize that when possible why did we win so many games we had a really good team that was the that probably for me was most frustrating thing about last summer was the team that we had i think was the best group we've had and if we would have played our regular season i think we'd have made a really good run to you know get to the playoffs and make a run for things so that was frustrating, but then also the same respect exciting because these guys had a great experience, and I think a lot of them are going to rejoin us and be part of what we're going to do in 2021.
0: Well, hopefully we, we look forward to hopefully seeing a full slate of games next year and, and seeing the success continue. Mike, yeah, part of that cross, success, right? fingers crossed, knock on wood, do whatever we have to do, Ouija boards, wh- whatever we can do. Uh, Mike, you know, part of the success that, that I've seen firsthand, having gone to a couple of the matches out there, is the fan support. You know, this is, you're still in your infancy really, you know, three yeah. years in, but you're averaging over a thousand fans a game prior to the pandemic. How were you able to kind of keep that community engaged when they weren't physically allowed to be there in the numbers that we've seen in the past?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think um, it's, it's a good question. I think, you know, I think the thing that we try to do is involve the fans in, in everything that we do, um, wherever, we, wherever we can. And so, um, I don't think it's one of those things where when the switch gets turned off and COVID is, is here, it's hard to build that out of thin air. And so I think we developed a really good relationship with our supporters group, defenders of the bridge. Um, we keep our fans involved from a season ticket Jersey standpoint. We have them vote on the design of the Jersey. Um, you know, we tried, you know, like we are talking about earlier, there wasn't a lot of new information that we knew that we could, plan upon um, but whenever we got anything from the league that we could share with our fans we did that we were trying to be real proactive um, and let folks know that you know we were we were still going to make an attempt to play um, and so I think because we've we've run it like a grassroots organization I think we, we've got one-to-one relationships without a lot of our season ticket holders and a lot of our fans I think we know people by name, Chris and his coaching staff and the players have all been out in the community for the last three plus years now. And so, um, you know, I think that there's a um, there's just a Chris mentioned, tight, you know, the team was really tight knit. I think our I think our fan base is tight knit. Um, and you know I think that they they wanted to be able to get out there and support the team whenever that time would come. And so, you know, I think we were. We gave, when, when it looked like we were not going to play the type of schedule that we had initially planned on playing, we gave all of our fans the option of either deferring their season tickets to 2021, um, getting a refund, or, um, or, or or just continuing on um, as, as though the pandemic wasn't happening. Um, we had less than a dozen people uh, ask for their season tickets to even be deferred. Everybody stuck with us. And now not everybody came out to the games for obvious reasons. Some people weren't comfortable or couldn't. Or, you know, we're also playing kind of on a little bit of a different calendar than we normally would have been. we we were delayed by about what would you say, Chris? Almost almost a month and a half, two months. Yeah, six weeks um, potentially. Yeah. So, you know, there was lots of reasons why maybe it wouldn't be the same. But I think um, I think our fans have become attached and committed to the club and 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 want to see it see it be successful so um you know it's been it's it was it was really heartwarming because i think you you understand what people are going through economically um in that time period where so many people are losing jobs you've got illness all over the place you know there's there's all kinds of reasons to say hey give me my money back Um, but we had almost nobody do that it was really incredible
0: it's a testament to the support that, that you've grown since this, this idea came to, came to be. And kind of talking about that idea, I mentioned the word grassroots, you mentioned the word mm-hmm. grassroots. The, the story of how the team was formed and how you came up with the idea, it always makes me laugh. And I, I love reading about it and talking to you about it because you honestly were going through, as you, as you mentioned, a social media brain drain one night, and you came across an article on how a guy started a professional soccer team in yeah. the Hudson Valley up in New York. Yeah. And he gave you revenues, expenses, pro forma, everything that went into it. Right. And from there, you took the idea and ran with it. Kind of give people a little bit of insight and perspective as to how it started from point A to where we are now.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I was I mean, I was just waiting for my young son to fall asleep. And I was scrolling through Twitter um, and I came across an article in Sports Illustrated by Grant Wall, who had written um an article, like you said, about Kingston Stockade and Dennis Crowley had started a team up in in Kingston, New York, um, and they were playing in a league that I mean, I've been involved in sports my whole career, I'd, I'd never heard of that league before. Um, and but what I was reading is that they were drawing crowds of a 1000 people a game in a, in a town of only 20,000 people. Um, if 5% of your city's population is turning out for anything, that's a lot. And so I was reading through it, and it just sounded really uh it just sounded really fun um and you know my son had started to play a little bit of soccer my two co-founders their kids are a little bit uh, some of their kids are a little bit older they're playing on on more advanced teams and playing fifa video games and and i was thinking man like you know we don't we don't have any games for like to, to bring your family out to a soccer game the way that you could bring your family out to see the Norfolk Tides or the Admirals or somebody like that, we don't have that for soccer. There's really not a good fan experience option unless you drive all the way up to Richmond, which we had done several times with, with young kids. I mean, getting up to Richmond and back um, even on a Saturday night was tough. And so we started thinking about, you know, could we do something like this uh, in Hampton Roads and would it, you know, would it be well supported? Could we get the thousand people? that are coming out to the games in little bitty Kingston, New York. Could we do that here? You know, in one of the country's top 50 media markets. Um, it seemed like there was a, a lot of soccer being played at the youth level, but the one thing that was missing was just that um, was, was that almost like a uh, a minor league baseball experience for soccer, you know? And so we started um, trying to figure out where, you know, where could we play? What league could we join? You know, um, is there anybody out there that wants to coach the team? <laughs> we found somebody that want to do that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. We found the guy. Um, and so, sorry, Chris. Uh, and then, uh, yeah. So, I mean, all these pieces started to fall into place. I mean, we, we really, before we fully committed to doing any of it, we really went around and we're asking people, you know, is this, you know, it's great if, you know, we want to do it, but the whole community has to want to be, a part of it. I mean, there's got to be a lot of community sport, you know, Chris talked about, you know, we bring in a lot of players from out of town. We need host families. We need sponsors. We need volunteers. We need interns. we got to have a staff of people really to be able to pull it off. Um, And then, you know, I think the, the thing that was once we kind of kind of realized there is going to be that kind of support there. um, That's one way I think we really kind of committed to going forward with it. And then we went out and hired the right guy for the job to be able to run the soccer side of the house. Um, to be able to bring in a team that was really ultimately at the end of the day is going to represent the community um, and wear and wear the shirt and 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 make people proud to to say that they play for a team here in this community.
0: Well talking about Chris, you know, Chris your, your day job day job is, is head coach of Chuan University. So you are the full time coach down at Chihuan. What drew you to this opportunity in, in between your seasons?
2: Yeah so in my younger years, a few pounds ago, I played in this league. Are we um, talking
0: LBs or are we talking pounds as in money? <laughs> <Which> um, <one?
2: laughs> probably both now I've got a wife and two kids. So, um, But yeah, I played in this league, loved this league. I played for a team called the West Virginia Chaos and I think I was there for five years and a player captain. That's actually how I met my wife, um, playing for that team. But it was always for me. I enjoyed this league because I thought it was a really special way. I was in, I'd played professionally. I was at the end of my career when playing in this league. I enjoyed it because I felt it was a great way to help young guys as they play through college and maybe put them in those shop windows we talked about. So I knew about the league. My concern when taking it over was, is this thing going to be done professionally? You know, and that was a question I had for Mike when Mike talked to me about the job. I didn't, you know, I've got a full-time job. I'm very committed to Chawan and we've got a good team. So I'm very busy with that. I didn't want to have to be doing, I just wanted to really worry about soccer things and, things that were pertinent to the team. And when Mike told me about all the things he got going on, I was like, wow, this is definitely something I want to be about a part of. Um, and then I sit back, Mike, do you remember when we went to, uh, was it Buffalo Wild Wings that first year? And we had a, uh, 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 no, it wasn't, it was the, the brewery we went to. We had a uh, like a host party Yeah. before we'd even had a game. It yeah. was ridiculous. And there was like a hundred and something people there. We'd never even kicked a ball. And people were singing songs about the team and cheering and, <laughs> I was just taken back and it was one of those where I kind of straight away from that, I was like, this community needs this. And this is something that's going to be really, really special. We need to do our very, very best and put a great product out there. And that's something we've always talked to the boys about is that you're not just representing the, the team and the name and the badge, you represent our of the ourselves as a program, but you are representing this community and that's something that's really big. And for me, and I hear people all the time talk about, oh, we're a family in, in athletics and sports, I think it's even bigger than a family. This, for me, is there's so much involvement. You know, one of our games was three and a half thousand people there. And it's a special, special environment, especially when we're able to play at CNU under the lights and the fireworks. And it's not just a soccer game. It's something that's a real event. And that's something that I think brings people together. Of all, you know, in the world that we live in right now, you've got people from all different cultures, religions, creeds. And it's a really, really neat thing to see people from all over the world embracing each other and having a great experience. And for me, that's something that, you know, I look forward to my summer months and looking forward to it again this summer. You
0: know, Mike, you, you talk about how you, you're starting this thing from, from scratch and you really don't know what to expect until that first ball is kicked. But Chris just mentioned that that first, I guess, initial party at the brewery with a hundred people and the ball hasn't been kicked yet. Was that the moment that you realized this was pretty realistic or was there another moment in that process where you said, this is going to work? Um, we
1: had all kinds of indications that it was looking good, right? I mean, that, that party was one of them. Um, you know, we were, we were amazed that people were buying season tickets before we'd ever kicked a ball and before we'd even announced a schedule. <laughs> um, and I remember when
2: that, <laughs> to know what you're
1: buying tickets for, right? <laughs> yeah. When that first email came in, I remember being, oh my God, like, like, this is, this is going to have, this going to happen, you know, but you never feel that comfortable with it until you see that, you know, people really do, you know, when you fling open the gates and you kind of go, all right, are they, are they really coming? Cause I know they bought the tickets. You know and i remember i mean our first home game it was pouring buckets at noon i mean it was absolutely coming down and our festival area where we've got the beer tent and the bounce houses for the kids and all that stuff i mean it's underwater um and i'm thinking <laughs> and I, I still have a, i still have a video of it that i've refused to delete off my phone because i remember thinking what have we done like this is this is a this has been a huge mistake um and we had a more than a th- and that was on a Wednesday night in May. It was on a school night, and we still had more than a thousand people out there that night. And we we put up a big number. We won that game five to one. Um, and the people that were there, they didn't. It was almost like they didn't want. You know, normally on a if you go to a sporting event a week night and the results kind of already in in hand, you know, people start trickling out. Nobody left. I mean, everyone stayed until the final whistle. Um, and and you felt great about that night. But then you're like. All right, are we were we a were we a one hit wonder? Or is this gonna is this gonna happen again? So I don't think you ever feel like you've you know you never feel that comfortable with it because you always kind of think about all the different things that can go wrong, um, or maybe not break your not break your way. Um, so I, I'm not sure we still even feel feel that way sometimes. Um, but you know I think that there's um, the thing that's been amazing is, you know again pre COVID there has only been one game that we've played in, in three seasons where we had less than a thousand people there. And as Chris said, you know, we've had games where we had, you know, 3,500 people out there, 2,500 people out there. And so, you know, our, our fans have been really consistent and really dedicated. Um, and and it seems like they will be there, you know, rain or shine Wednesday or Saturday, whatever day of the week we're playing and under any circumstances. And so um you know, you, you, like I said, you never feel. And maybe it's just my, <laughs> maybe it's just my personality, but I'm, I'm always kind of a little bit worried about what, what may be lying around the bend. But, um, but I, I, think it's probably fair to say some of that stuff is a little bit unfounded at this point, knowing that, you know, we have the support that we have in the community.
0: Uh, this question might be for both of you. Um, you know, Chris, you said you played in this league, but it, it, I think it was called something different. Back then, I know that there's been a little bit of a reorganization and a reshuffling of the professional ranks of U.S. soccer, but kind of talk about USL League 2. For, for somebody who's just learning about this now, what kind of play can they expect? Where does it fit in and where does Lionsbridge fit in in the hierarchy of professional soccer in the U.S.?
2: Mike, you want me to take this one? Yeah, go ahead. So, yeah, the, the league USL 2 was formerly the Professional Development League. Um, the PDL it was known as the PDL for years um it is the fourth tier in US soccer so you've got the MLS which is DC United for example um and then you have the USL championship yeah and then and then USL won right Mike you got it okay well thank you um <laughs> pass that quiz there you go pass that one yeah time for double jeopardy so we're the so we're the, those first three leagues are full professional. So we're you know a, a semi-professional amateur league, whatever you want to call it. Um, so we're kind of that next tier. So ultimately, I look at it in terms of if I was talking to an American who didn't know much about soccer, I would mm-hmm. analyze it in a minor league baseball way. That we're kind of like the farm team. We're maybe the farm team for a you know, our guys do well, can they then succeed and then get a professional contract at the bigger club in the league above? And if they do their well in that league, then they'll go to the league above. So Joe Rice, for example, was our goalkeeper three years ago, Mike? Yeah. In 18, three yeah. Ago. 18. Got a professional contract after he played for us with the Richmond Kickers. Then got another professional contract with the uh, New England Revolution too. So he's gone up another league again. Now he's in you know, in been doing very well. He got injured, but he was doing really, really well. And any the MLS team are now looking at him really, really closely. So, it, I think that's a, it's just a, a kind of a stepping stone kind of thing to do. On a, if you look at a pyramid in that respect, so is that is that fair to describe that way? Might you think or not? Yeah, I mean, I think I think the
1: the league has developed a reputation for just being a springboard to people's professionals professional careers. And so, yeah. uh, I don't remember the numbers off the top of my head, but I want to say you know, for maybe like the last seven or eight years when the major league soccer draft would happen, 70% of the players that were drafted in MLS had come through this league at some point in time. So, you know, there's, there, there may be a lot of guys, especially uh, especially the younger guys that um, are, are, you know, elite level college soccer players who have excellent chances to play in professional careers. I don't think there's hardly anybody on our roster that either hasn't played professionally or has designs on becoming a professional soccer player and and being able to play, you know, either in the U.S. or abroad. And so, um, you know, I think with that, you know, the guys take it pretty seriously. You know, it doesn't, you know, it's it's a summer league, um, but it's a it's a proven pathway. You know, I think not not just with our team, but plenty of teams in the league that have sent guys into the professional ranks. So, you know, we're we're playing against the best. We're playing with and against the best college soccer players you'll find anywhere in america
0: well and and that's i love the comparison to uh the the minor leagues of major league baseball because yeah when you go when you're out in salem virginia at a class a game the names might not jump off the page at you but it's about what is coming through that stadium and what has come Mm -hmm. through that stadium over history and then you just see the progression and so that's really where i think you get the excitement is that because you guys are still so new it might be you know you have the Joe Rices, but it might be another three or four years before you can really say, well, that guy, this guy, that guy. And the next thing you know, they start to kind of build the history and the legacy of the team. And, and I think that's a great, a, a great analogy. Um, in 2019, you were actually designated the USL Two franchise of the year. What went into that designation?
2: My fest.
1: <laughs> I'm assuming you're, you just want me to answer that question because I'm sure no, no, I was, that, I was that's studying. not that's not the answer way. to that. That's not the answer to that question. <laughs> um, you're just asking me to answer that question. Um, the, sh- the short answer is, I think it's the community support. I mean, I think, um, you know, we've been, we've been fortunate to lead the league in attendance, at least in, our, in the Eastern Conference for the last three years. Um, and I think it's just a testament to the support that we get both from, from fans um, and also from sponsors um, you know, our, our host families just really everybody that kind of all the different local youth, area youth soccer organizations that we, that we work with as well. Um, you know, we, all, I think all those things end up adding up into an amazing game day experience. And when we stream our games, um, um, you know, and we've had the games on television before as well, people, people see that and they hear that atmosphere and it, you know I, I mean I don't pat ourselves on the back too much but it doesn't sound like many other places in our league. I mean when we go on the road more often than not the the conversation that we have with clubs from the other teams in the league and actually I think it was Jalen Brown, one of our players from the first year um, I, don't, I, I wish I could remember who we were playing but there was a there was a <laughs> I think the ball had rolled out of play or maybe there was a free kick but one of the players from the opposing team, um it was the night when we had 2,500 people out there um asked Jalen is it always like this you know and I think that was that was a player and he was talking to him. he's kind of you know pointing up at the crowd I mean I think that's that's the reason why those types of things come together it's it's not because of any one person or any or any one thing um I think it's just kind of a compilation of everything that that that's gone into it over the course
2: of several years will, you mentioned will, that can I, can I add to that will yeah go ahead Mike won't take credit, so I'm going to give him a bit of credit. I think also we did have a decent team on the field that year. We actually led the league for the longest out of anybody, but then fell away at the end. So it wasn't because we were the best team in the league. We had a pretty good team. You know, And as, as coaches, our goal is to win the league. Um, but I think we do as good a job as anybody in the league um, with this social media presence, presence. And I'm rubbish on social media personally. Uh, I've only just got Twitter. So, but Mike does a fantastic job. The staff do a great job of that. And I think that's a massive piece of how society looks at things nowadays. Facebook, Twitter, what's the other ones? Um, Instagram. Yeah, there you go. Those yeah, my, We, we yeah. can name them for you. <laughs> yeah, You guys can name it. You guys know what I'm talking about. I don't know about them. But they do a fantastic job of that. And yes, we've got unbelievable crowds. We've got great fan support. We've got all these brilliant things. But the way it's portrayed and how it's put out there into the community, into how it's seen, for me, recruiting in the, for this team is so easy. I basically just said, just jump on the website, guys. I don't need to say much more. You know, why would you not want to play in front of 3,000 people on a competitive team and have a chance to win things? And then we've got a bunch of guys going pro. So I think there's all of those pieces to it. But Mike, and he doesn't take credit, really, but he should do, is a big part of, you know, his staff and people who work for him and himself have really done a fantastic job with that, and and it's really cool to be a part of. So one we can't of, take any credit for that.
0: One of the matches that that I took my family to was actually the uh, exhibition against the Richmond Kickers last year, um, and for those who don't know, Richmond Kickers they're one of the um, oldest continuously run soccer franchises in the country, and they're actually currently owned by one of our Hall of Famers, Rob Ucrop, and they are in USL One, correct? So, so they are a, a step above uh, USL two, but kind of talk about that partnership between you and and Rob and, and the Kickers and Lionsbridge and how that benefits you know your players and your team and your organization from being able to bring them down from just you know up the road on sixty four.
1: Well, I, I'll talk about the I'll talk about the business end of it and Chris can talk about it from the soccer side because I think we were we were gonna be doing more from a soccer side of things in, in 2020 before things kind of yeah. got derailed there. But you know, I think um, you know, going back a little bit to that origin story, we would spent a lot of time going to Richmond Kickers games before we even had a thought about Lions Bridge. And so we had a ton of respect for what is still the longest continuously running professional soccer team in, in America. They've been around since the early nineties. Um, you know, they draw great crowds up there, um, really well run. Um, and then the thing that we, anybody can see that from the outside, what we didn't know is how generous they are in terms of helping build the game. Um, and they were, they were our biggest fans as we were trying to figure out, you know, some of the things that we didn't know early on, um, from a, from a business standpoint and also from a soccer standpoint for me personally, before Chris came on board. And so I think there was. Um, they, they were always very supportive in, in that realm. And so, you know, we we'd always said, you know, we'd love to get you guys to come down to the peninsula someday um, and expecting that that probably wouldn't happen because not a lot of pro teams are going to go on the road to go play a team at, at our level. It's just not, it's not, it's atypical, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but um when we when we tossed it out there they're like yeah we'd we'd love to do that you know we'd love to and we'd love to be able to have a a more formal relationship with with the club also on the soccer side because I think they see that there's some benefits from from their end of the uh, from their end of things you know it helps grow their brand down here from a business standpoint from a soccer side I think they felt like there were some benefits to it too so I I would leave it to Chris to kind of pick up the Mm -hmm. the story from there.
2: Yeah, in terms of soccer side of it, we'll talk about that game. They were very good that day and we were very poor and they, they won convincingly. We thought that was a great opportunity for our guys to showcase what they can do, but also show them that some of you guys have still got a ways to go. So ultimately, you always want to challenge yourself. And it was a great chance for our guys to do that. In terms of what we've been talking about in soccer-wise relationships this last year, we were going to try and send some of our guys up to train with them on a regular basis. So if they had guys that they were potentially interested, they could go and practice with their team. We don't practice every day of the week. Um, so maybe they could go one or two days a week and showcase what they could do to the, to the pro team there. And then at the same time, potentially let's say they had a young player that they were interested in who, let's say financially they, their roster was full and they didn't have the funds to sign this player or something along those lines, or they had for example, let's say already had two very good goalkeepers, but they had a third one they wanted to develop. Maybe we could have organized some relationship. That's our plan was to have a relationship where maybe some of those guys could come and play for us. And they're kind of underneath that all seeing eye of Richmond, getting to play some quality games in front of crowds, which is a, which is a big thing. you know, playing in front of a crowd. Not many college soccer games get 3000 people at them. So putting these guys in those sorts of environments and, and let, Letting them experience that, while also being seen by their kind of parent club, if that was, if that makes sense. So that's something we've talked about. And there's league rules that we're going to also have to follow within that. But yeah, I think ultimately, to me, having good relationships with people. Like anything, it's it's better to have a good relationship than a bad relationship, isn't it? So well,
0: and and you you both mentioned that you know Richmond is one thing that drew you to them is how focused they are in growing the game, and particularly at the the lower levels, that's really a, a key component. The high levels, you already have the TV contracts, you have the sponsors, you know, you're you're just looking to turn over revenue and make sure you stay viable. But at the lower levels, it really is about growing the sport. You know, Chris, I'm really, really interested to hear from your perspective, obviously not being a a local, even though I hope people didn't believe that earlier when I said that. But, you know, where do you see, where do you see soccer right now in the U.S. and its growth over the last quarter century? Um, You know, what is its place and where can it go?
2: Yeah, uh, great question. Well, firstly, I'm originally from Nottingham, Nottinghamshire in England. So Northern England came to America very similar to the time period that you're talking about. I came over here in 01 on a scholarship. I uh, went to a school called Mercyhurst College. And when I got there, I, I tell a story all the time is there was hardly ever soccer games on the TV. And I remember we in our dorm room or apartment, we all chipped in and bought a Fox Soccer channel. And you get one game on a week. So (laughs) it was kind of like, but one game a week then was awesome. And now you look at it, it's NBC have done a fantastic job. And it's on Peacock and it's on ESPN and Sports Center And soccer's growing and growing and growing. It's massively grown. The stats are the most played youth sport out of any of the sports. I I don't want to quote, say a quote, but I know in terms of the attendance across the board, it's getting up there and it's rivaling some of the more traditional major American sports. I think it's one of those where it's mm-hmm. the world's game. And I just think MLS have done a really good job of being sustainable. I think, you know, you look at world soccer, they've had football in, in England since, you know, the 18 you know, something, I think is when the league started. They say they yeah, invented it. Yeah, well, we did. Um, <laughs> has made this degree <laughs> i wouldn't say we're the best in it right now but we definitely invented any um but it, i think it's just time sustainability you know how long have they been playing baseball and basketball and, and football in these countries and that didn't take off straight away so i do think they've got the model right now um and now the more i've said this in the past the more and more do you get clubs in smaller communities And then you get people connecting to those clubs and you get more people playing i think that's going to make it better and better and better and the the, the, you know you think like let's say just use britain for example england every small town has a team and then people go and watch their local team so you support your local team and then you support the big team so it'd be like someone in baseball you support the tides but you like the yankees for example or the braves or whoever um I think, you know, the way the game's going in this country now, I'd love it if, you know, people are Lionsbridge fans, but then also love the LA Galaxy or whatever because of who they've got on that team. And I think that's the way the game's going. How many franchises are in the USL too, Mike? Now, I, I see every week so, another franchise is starting, right? Or teams yeah, joining. join mean, there's they're across
1: the country, there's about 80 teams in USL League 2, you know, stretching from, from coast to coast. And so... Um, and so
0: you yeah. all play in regional pockets. Exactly, yes. yeah. 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 It's and like it's, a, other,
2: it's similar to like having a, a conference in college sports, and then then there's other leagues as well, there's other leagues that are out there, that are, you know, probably not as well ran as our league, but are still providing a quality soccer product as well in other markets. And you know, we'll sometimes play some of those teams, you know, cross cross league games. But ultimately, I think the more that people play the game, and more everybody, for example, now parents now there's a very good likelihood that sort parent. Of children now played soccer 15 20 years ago does that make sense so it's kind of like it takes time because now people are evolving and learning it more like mike when you were a kid did you play soccer i did what was your position goalkeeper <laughs> okay did you play soccer well as a kid i did i did i was you know, a defender was and then it
0: then it conflicted with baseball season so i, I switched over to baseball but uh,
2: yeah but,
1: you're but I can, you can you're
2: kids but to your
1: point chris i mean my my dad didn't play soccer growing up yeah exactly. you know Um, so, I mean, it was, it was quite literally a foreign concept to him when, when I was playing as as a kid. Um, whereas I, I, it doesn't work that way for parents now. I mean, a lot of, a lot of parents, both moms and dads played soccer growing up, um, Mm -hmm. and and into, I think to our generation, it it is a mainstream sport.
2: 100%. That's kind of what I was, I think I was saying there. you know, are going to take their kids to the game and everybody understands the game now. Right. So.
0: Well, it's amazing how this conversation today, how different this would have been a quarter century ago. And, you know, 25 years in the grand scheme of things doesn't seem that long. And, and it's just really been amazing to see how it's grown and amazing to see the progress that you guys uh, have helped contribute to that. And, you know, I, I'm hoping that 2021 for all of us is a bit different than 2020. But uh, I do want to thank both of you for taking the time out today. And I know that your supporters are itching to get back out there to see you guys play. So thank you guys again for joining us today will really appreciate it. Uh, glad to do it anytime. Absolutely.
2: Thanks. Well, yeah, appreciate it. Once again, let's go bridge.
0: <laughs> That's right. Let's go bridge. Um, so everybody be sure to follow lions bridge on Twitter, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all at lions bridge FC. As always, I'd like to thank all of our partners here at the hall of fame for helping us put this on city of Virginia beach, priority automotive, Optima health, Davcon, ESPN radio, um, and the Hampton road sports commission. Uh, be sure to follow us on social media, all of our handles are at va sports hof once again i'm will driscoll like to thank mike best chris wally and uh, hope everybody continues to stay safe stay healthy and hopefully we're all going to be seeing a lot more live sporting events in 2021 get out there and vote next tuesday we'll see everybody next time